I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book seven, Claudia and Mean Janine. Let's do our one sentence summaries. I'm loath to start since I really went with like the D plot on mine today, but I'll go first (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Um, My summary of this book is rural Connecticut class drama plays out in children's dog grooming adventures. I think that's like the Q plot, Emily. That tells us exactly nothing about this book. (laughs) So I have supposedly irresponsible 13-year-old cares for ailing grandmother and many babysitting charges. Semicolon. Learns lessons about siblinghood in the process. Hmm. I guess that counts as one sentence. That's interesting. (laughs) Mine is really one sentence. Mimi has a stroke after a contentious trivia game with the Kishi sisters. Down. Yeah, they just straight straight to the point there. I couldn't deal with the central plot in my one sentence summary, or I would have cried. <laughs> you had to you had to avoid it straight ahead. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> we, book was so traumatic. <laughs> you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist, kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. And I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer, a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Okay, so Emily, you mentioned crying in, in this book. I think we all shed some tears. Yeah, it's a stressful book. It's a really stressful book. So as I, as I said in my one sentence summary, Mimi, Claudia's beloved grandmother, has a stroke. And... A lot of, I would say at least 40% of the book deals with Mimi and her stroke. um, And then kind of like how it brings to light her relationship with her genius sister, Janine. And also there's a lot of um, care for Mimi, like after the stroke in her physical therapy and speech therapy. Um, It's very dark. (laughs) It's a little dark. And I think when I was... Yeah, and like when I was a kid and reading this, I I don't know if it if I cried when I was younger and I read this, but I definitely felt like like a I you know, you think about your grandmother and death. Like I feel like I I probably didn't think about death very much also before this book and maybe after this book all I thought about was death. <laughs> Dude. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to remember when I got, like, when my melancholy and my love for books began to overlap or like what, I don't even know which, what, how you would even begin to say something causal about that. But like, I reread the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants series over and over and over again, specifically because they made me cry. And I'm, I don't remember crying reading The Babysitter's Club, but there's no way that I didn't. No way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was sobbing fucking sobbing reading this book in my 30s 
<laughs> it's interesting. What what parts got you guys? Because this one doesn't get me as much as some other ones in the series. I'm wondering if that's partly because I didn't have any grandparents. Like my my grandparents were all dead before I was born, except for one. My my paternal grandfather died when I was two. Um, and you both have very present grandparents in your life. Um, and so I'm wondering if that's part of it. The sister stuff gets me. So the other plot relative to the title is Janine and Claudia kind of wrestling with their positions in the family and who they are to each other, who they are to their parents, who they are to Mimi, and this kind of consistent misunderstanding that's happening between them. Um, Janine being this 15-year-old genius or 16 at this point, I guess, and Claudia being the 13-year-old artistic popular, funny person, um, and how they're both kind of envious of the other. So that stuff really gets me in this, but the, the grandmother stuff uh, like is sad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like F Mimi. Like I like, <laughs> I worry about her, but it, but it doesn't, I, I don't think it stabs me in the same way that it stabs you guys because I don't have that relationship in my life. Well, I think, I mean, I think the sibling stuff also gets to me because I feel I had not quite a contentious relationship with my brother, but, you know, there is like misunderstanding or replacing the family and how one, you know, Scott was smarter and like, I was like more athletic or whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. I, the parts that made me cry were, um, the part where, uh, Claudia goes into Janine's room and like the glow of her computer is hitting her face. And she's like, it looked like Janine had been crying. It really got mm-hmm. to me. Emily's like yes yeah I well that sister stuff just destroys me like that that they and you can tell from Claudia's perspective and I I think you know as me I think you're right in your podcast notebook entry for today about how distinctive Claudia's writing style is compared to the other girls like Mm -hmm. Anna Martin does such a good job of letting cluing the reader into Janine's position even though Claudia doesn't Mm -hmm. see it or she's not seeing it yet and that like that you you can tell that they're just missing they're just missing one another and like that moment when Claudia you know like reacts so intensely to something that was pretty minor it's just like you it just kills me I'm like just slow down like take Mm -hmm. one step back like you guys are right there you're right on the precipice of like seeing the world from each other's views and like having more space and empathy for one another and you're just missing out on this like potentially really amazing Mm -hmm. relationship it just like Mm -hmm. destroys me it destroys me yeah (laughs) yeah there's that part in the beginning when Claudia says she almost hits Janine Mm-hmm. Like she raises her hand, but she, I was like, whoa, whoa, Claudia. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know. It made me think, I, I think that the title of this book is, is not a good title. Cause I feel like Claudia is kind of the mean one, right? It's like, mm-hmm. Janine's not the mean one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think, um, you know, talk about dialectics. We talked about them a little bit in the last book. Um, but I think this, this thing that Emily's saying about how Anna Martin lets us see each person's perspective. And I think if you're Claudia and you think that Janine only cares about her computer and her books and she doesn't want to care for Mimi and she doesn't want to come join in with the family. And if you're Janine and you're hurt and you're not invited and you think you're not needed, you know, it's very easy to see how the two of them are judging the other one from where they're sitting um, when they're both just sad. I'm going to cry again. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it, you know, it, it resolves. It has some lovely, it has some lovely things in the end. Obviously Mimi doesn't, you know, unhave her stroke, but she's building toward recovery. And then, you know, Janine and Claudia finally do talk about some of these things and Janine comes out of her room more and Mm-hmm. Claudia tries to be more patient. Um, so I think, I think they get there. Um, but she does render it to me. It, it reminded me a little bit of that moment in Marianne saves a day where she and her father don't hug, but she thinks that they should. It's that, you know, she renders this kind of missed opportunity and this like separation and loneliness within close family relationships so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Marianne and Mr. Spear are one example and Claudia and Janine are another one. Yeah. I think what got me about the Mimi stuff is how much, like how it sits with Claudia sort of figuring out what it means to grow up and like her own narrative as the kind of irresponsible one and all that, like that moment at the end where she regrets comparing Mimi's um, progress to Lucy as a baby Mm -hmm. is like really, was really fascinating to me and like kind of kind of killed me too that like we're we're getting also a clue into how Mimi herself is dealing with her own Mm -hmm. ailment through Claudia's kind of misunderstanding of or processing her frustration which I think is also very clever absolutely so for the audience's benefit Mimi has a very serious stroke where she loses the function of kind of the right half of her body and she can't she has a a, a pretty serious case of aphasia and can't remember a lot of her words. Some of the words she remembers are only in Japanese. She's having a hard time communicating. And so she has to kind of use flashcards and drill and practice her language skills and, and build many of her basic skills back up, which is why Claudia compares her to Lucy at one point in her mind. She doesn't say that to Mimi, just to be clear. Well, I think one, one of the big revelations for me in this book is that you know, I, I self-identify as a Claudia, but mm-hmm. maybe I'm more of a Janine. Mm, say more. <clears throat> well, just like, I mean, Claudia is portrayed as like the pretty popular one, right? And she's very, she's more extroverted and she's, you know, mm-hmm. she's more social and she really likes to hang out with her friends. And she has a lot of friends and a lot of activities she does, um, like art and babysitting. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Janine is, you know, she's more of just like stays in her room and she just studies and like, she doesn't have a lot of friends and she's not confident in that way. And, you know, as, as someone, you know, 12, I would say whatever, like 10 to 17, I was very much just like, well, I'm just going to sit in my room and like write in my journal and listen to Nirvana Unplugged on my cassette tape and like be mopey <laughs> or like whatever, you know? So in that sense, I really, I feel like I really uh, empathize with Janine and her like, she just feel like she doesn't belong anywhere. And she kind mm-hmm. of feels like... And her like introverted nature. Yeah, and like I'm super introverted. So, you know, it's like that feeling of someone who really wants to reach out and connect with someone but doesn't know how to. Emily, do you like how Anne just totally erased me from seven years of her life? Made it seem like she was just like in her room by herself for our entire teenage years. Oh yeah, you weren't there at all. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think cool. I knew you then. You were yeah. like, yeah. Chris, you were like Christine around 
and you're like, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> student body president, homecoming queen, whatever. Oh, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. You were mm-hmm. always invited, Anne, and you were always there. Who did you go to prom with? Who were like, we were together. Don't even, don't write, don't, I just, you know, I get what you're saying. You're like Janine-esque. But Janine-esque, I, yes. You know, but you were not only in your room and your computer. Can we, d- did you guys notice that Claudia says that Marianne is hard to get to know in this book? Ha! Yeah. No. Because says that about Claudia mm-hmm. in the first Dawn book, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about introversion. Yeah, (laughs) that would undo that would undo a little bit of um, Dawn's implicit racism if it's just a comment that several of them make about each other across the series. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Claudia saying that about Marianne is an indictment of Marianne's also casual racism. Fair enough. Like she's she's not not getting to know Claudia. She's getting to yeah. know Claudia the least because she's uh-huh. Japanese American. Yeah. yeah, that seems like a little bit of a stretch to me. But she's like, just everyone in California just has blonde hair, and Claudia just looks really different. <laughs> no Asian people in California no. in the nineteen eighties. No. Well, Claudia also in this book describes her and Don as side by side. Uh, What's the term? As negatives. Yeah. Because they both have long hair. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was a little weird. Uh, Stacey's perm also cracks me up. Oh, it was way cool then, though. It was. Everybody did it. All the cool kids had perms. Yes, like our friend Michelle. Okay, wait, perm is also a signifier of wealth. Oh, yeah. Right? For sure. She had the money to go get her hair done with her lazy stay-at-home mom. Who just stops <laughs> and takes Stacy to the hair salon? That's time for such things. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Emily. What sociopolitical stuff did you notice in this book between your tears? There was only one thing that really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the subplot of this book, not the Q plot about Christie's dog Louie that I summarized in my sentence, but um, the actual subplot is that the girls. It's summertime. So the girls, after the success of their week of babysitting 14 kids in the lead up to um, Christy's mom and Watson's wedding, they Christy has the idea, of course, to do a sort of like summer camp style thing. They call a play group where like three mornings a week they set up in Stacy's backyard because Stacy's mom doesn't work. And so mm-hmm. they figured it'd be better, good to have an adult around. Uh, and like uh, all their normal babysitting charges, you know, can go in and out and they charge $3 a kid a morning. Mm-hmm. And so one, one of the things that happens is that on one of the mornings, so Christy also moves in this book, which is underplayed a little bit. Mm-hmm. We get a, we meet the, like, we get a hint of the people who move into her old house at the very end, the Perkinses, mm-hmm. they call asking for a sitter and Christy takes the job, but she, there's like no mention of whether she feels weird about babysitting mm-hmm. new kids in her old house, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I, I thought that was weird too. Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder, I don't remember this subplot at all. So I'm curious to see whether that like is a, an emotional hurdle for her or a trial for her at any point. Um, but one of the days when they're moving, Christy's mom, Edie slash Elizabeth Thomas, <laughs> shout out to Michelle. <laughs> um, 
makes David Michael take the dog because he's like got into the trash and got spaghetti all over the house or whatever. And David Michael has the idea or is like worried about the poor mutt Louie, whose great grandfather was not a collie, but was a sheep dog, <laughs> like moving to the rich side of town with all the purebred dogs. This like that too. I was like, poor David Michael, this kid has already like completely yeah. absorbed all He's of the social seven. pressures. I know yeah. around like <laughs> class status and like how you have to perform mm-hmm. it and like the, the, fear of sort of transgressing those norms and like how you will be socially punished. And she's, he's like worried about Louie around purebred dogs in this rich neighborhood. And he's like, Oh, we have to give him a bath. So he looks nice. And then he's like, mm-hmm. what, what collar does he like dress him up in? His plaid leash. Yes. Yes. Of course. Plaid his leash. plaid leash. <laughs> but there's a moment when they're like, okay, great. We'll use this playgroup to give Louie a bath. And at the end of it, I'm going to read it. At the end of this chapter, what, this is chapter nine, nine or 10, maybe 10. Yeah. Yeah. All, so page a hundred, all the kids are uh, soaked, but Louis looks nice. And the, Claudia concludes when the morning was over, Louis was a canine masterpiece. Stacy had French braided his fur. That's a side <laughs> note. <laughs> Charlotte had tied a ribbon at the end of each braid. Margot and Mallory had painted red nail polish on his claws. David Michael had run home long enough to find his plaid collar. The children inspected him critically. Does he have any clothes? Asked Nikki. A sweater or something? No, said Christy. But I think he's dressed up enough. Now if he can just stay this way until tomorrow. The children began to go home. David Michael was the last to leave. He led Louis proudly out of McGill's yard on the plaid leash. Should say the McGill's yard? Mm Mm-hmm. It was then that Chrissy turned to the other club members. You don't think Louie looks too much like a girl, do you? She whispered. Nobody said a word. Oh, well, <laughs> Christy went on. If anybody asks tomorrow, I'll just say his name is Luella. They'll never know. <laughs> what? The actual fuck? <laughs> Who cares if people think Louie is a girl dog? I just, I just, for our, for our listeners, Emily looks... As enraged as if, and I, I, you know, any of number of the things that are happening that are actual problems in our world right now, are she just heard about them for the first time? That's <laughs> that's how upset she is about this transphobia around Louis. Why? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that is that's an the only thing I noticed in this book. Like, really, yeah. I, when I read that, I was like, ex- I did a spit take. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like when people get really, really mad when someone misgenders their baby. But maybe this is a big moment for Louis. Maybe he is like, I finally feel like myself after all of these years. Well, then that's even worse because the girls are like, oh, no, no, you can possibly like we can possibly read him in that way. <laughs> <laughs> it transgresses all of the norms about gender that we've been <laughs> socialized into. <laughs> I really I really like if 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 the, the A plot in Christy and the Snobs is, you know, her describing Louis's gender queer identity to all of the new people in her new neighborhood. If that was yeah. what it was about instead. And then it's super transgressive because he's not only gender queer, he's a mutt right mm-hmm. yeah what just the french braids and the plaid like that's the thing that make people misgender no, him the, as a girl it's the claw polish it's the claw polish yeah. clearly honestly can i tell you i missed the claw polish on the first read and i was still appalled by their like fear over him being misgendered 
And when I, I didn't notice it until I was just reading that passage out loud to you guys. <laughs> I was like, oh God. <laughs> I feel like it's the claw polish that tips it. I think so too. Boys can paint their nails. Sure. I agree. But not in 1987 in Stony Brook, Connecticut, in the yeah. rich part of town. I know. So many layers of oppression for poor Luella. Not worry about Louie. Anyway, okay. that was my, that was, right. that was the politics of this book for me. <laughs> okay. My basic psychology read, I thought they did a really nice job for all of the nuanced interpersonal reasons we already talked about. And um, the other thing that's a big plot in this is that Claudia thinks she caused the stroke. As Anne intimates in her one sentence summary, she gets mad at Mimi and yells at her and then Mimi has a stroke a little bit later, um, which is a really common thing for for kids and even teens to to believe that they caused bad things to happen when they happen in time like that. So the scene where Mimi disabuses her of that notion is also another one where I cried. It was oh, very stop. sweet. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, oh, getting choked up thinking about it. So that, I, you know, A plus on kind of the basic developmental psychology in this book, nothing nothing giant. We see some, um, we see some little nice highlights too of Claudia's understanding of how to teach things when people don't learn super easily. So there's a couple moments where, um, she's like using mnemonics to teach, reteach Mimi words. Like she's helping her learn chair. And she says, picture a chair, cherries exploding. Emily's making uh, the, the universal sign for sobbing as she reads that. So you see how like Claudia's own experiences with whatever her learning disabilities may be her or her ADHD allow her to help break things down for Mimi. So that was already really, really nice. She says something like, I had enough trouble in school to know what will be easy. Um, and, uh, so all of that was really nice. The thing that, um, I found myself thinking about a lot was personality and the way, cause there's a lot of setting up in this book of how Mimi's different from her parents and how Janine and Claudia are different from each other. Not as much of the different, um, personalities of the girls as we see in many of the other books, but that's of course a theme of the whole Babysitter's Club series, right, is kind of who do you see in each of the girls. So so thinking about this, and given that we all identify, you know, kind of mostly as one babysitter or another, but we agree that we have different kind of shades of some of the other ones. Emily's a Dawn with some Marianne, Anne's a, a Claudia with some Stacy and some Marianne, things like and that. And some Janine. Oh, yeah, and some Janine, sorry. <laughs> and a lot of Janine. <laughs> So we actually got a listener email um, about this very topic. Yeah. So occasionally we get some listener email. Maybe we've gotten two so far, and this is one of them. <laughs> you can feel free to write to us, stockinstonybrook at gmail.com. Yes, please write us. We like email. Um, so Ashley, she can't figure out which babysitter she is, and it's causing her a lot of angst. She can't sleep at night. She's tossing and turning like... Am I a Dawn? Wait, I'm more of a Stacy, but wait, maybe a Claudia. Oh, so, you know, we're going to help her out. Okay, fantastic. So, but you know, I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist and I like to be evidence-based. So before we help her out, I just want to talk a little bit about personality assessment. Because I've been thinking about that as we've been going through the books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll keep it short. Um, but the idea being there's a lot of personality stuff out there that's basically garbage, like a scientific garbage. So people are really into the Myers-Briggs. People are really into lots of other things that um, don't have a lot of data behind them and are not really scientifically derived. But there's one system 
um, called the five factor model or the big five that has a lot of data in it. So have you guys heard of the big five before? The I think so. uh, sporting goods store. Yeah, no, not the <laughs> I think that went out of business. Yeah. yeah. So you can remember the, the parts of the big five. So the big five was um, created. And I'll, put, I'll put a couple links up about it. Um, um, looking at how different personality traits tend to hang together. So they used a statistical method called factor analysis to show that the ways we describe most people fall into one of five buckets. And those buckets aren't exclusive in the same way that like, I'm not only a Christie, right? I might be 90% Christie, but I'm also, you know, 30% Claudia, 50% Dawn, etc. And so those big five, you can remember it from the acronym OCEAN. It's the ocean of your personality. So it's openness. Yeah. It's openness to experience. Like how adventurous are you? How much do you like new things? Conscientiousness. How reliable are you? How organized? Extroversion. How outgoing versus not. Um, Agreeableness. Do you like to go along with things and get along with other people and um, kind of be flexible? And then neuroticism. So how much sort of negative affect do you have um, day to day? And you can be high on all of them. You could be low on all of them or you can be varied amounts. So like I'm high on basically all of them. I'm a little lower on neuroticism, but I'm very high on everything else. Some people are more in the middle. Some people are highest on one and then low on all of them. And I'll throw up an assessment that people can take if they're interested in their real big five. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the purposes of the podcast, we thought we would come up with a BSC Big Five. And we could then help Ashley by figuring out what percent Christy, what percent Claudia, Stacy, Marianne, and Dawn. And as we meet other members in the future, junior members, associate members, maybe we can add some subscales, but it'll still be the Big Five. Does that make sense? Hell yeah. Okay, back up Wait, a question. Yeah. We have questions. What's your question, Emily? My question is... Our percentages in our factor model, BSC Big Five, don't have to add to 100. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we should follow it because it's not like that, right? It's not, they're not orthogonal. There's some right. overlapping things with each of them and it yeah. could be a lot of several. Okay. So Ashley gave us a pretty long um, description of her, which I like. But so um, maybe Anne or Emily, you want to call out some of the things that stick out to you here. Okay, let's see. Good student, high achiever. Mm-hmm. Single parent mom, not a lot of praise and reinforcement at home. Shame averse. Yeah, got at least a little Marianne in there. Conscientious, generally competent, a doer. Matters to be seen that way. Mm-hmm. Intensely shy as a young person. Seems relevant. Mm-hmm. Important. Does not remember when you got your period. That must have been middle school. Oh, well, so that that's going to be at least 50% Dawn then, right? Because Dawn's right in the middle. Dawn's yeah. going to get her period tomorrow. That's our life. Yeah, in every book. <laughs> yeah. Patient, but cert- under certain contexts, quick to mm-hmm. irritate. I think that's mm-hmm. important. Pathologically punctual. Okay, stock market club. I'm getting a strong Stacy vibe from the stock market club. Swatch watch, no, though. Stacy is a swatch watch where yeah that's, yeah, that's where yours and Stacy's personalities overlap <laughs> yeah that's why I'm ten percent Stacy I'm also good at math <laughs> oh men's sweater phase in late middle school and then serial monogamist I'm getting some Marianne but the conscientiousness um, going for sure with um, some Christy and some Stacy. Well, I think this like being really organized, but not necessarily a leader is a very Marianne thing as well. That Marianne's kind of like a behind the scenes facilitator, right? That she 
does a lot of setting up for people, I feel, which is, I mean, we've mm-hmm. only had one Marianne book so far, but I noticed it even in this one that she like is often laying the groundwork for someone. Yeah. Yeah. To like then, you know, ma- make manifest an idea or a plan right. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of background planning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also saying she's usually the one that's taking the lead in, in groups and making plans um, and coming up with ideas and stuff. So I think there's some Christy stuff there as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So should we, should we try to label a percentage for each of these? Yeah. Are you guys not quite ready yet? Still, still reading. I'm not getting a ton of Dawn. Me neither. I was just thinking that. I feel like, well, we talked about this a bit, I think in episode one or two, the kind of like wholesomeness of Stony Brook of the girls, Mm -hmm. at least, um, Mm -hmm. getting, getting strong, like wholesome vibes too. And I feel like, I mean, we're not probably not going to talk, do a spinoff California diary spinoff, but I feel like Don of the crew is the least kind of wholesome (laughs) Mm. in that regard. Like maybe a bit more, a bit less risk averse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I so think from, from this actually definitely sounds risk risk averse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I okay. Think that's a Marianne trait because Christy is like, you know, very kind of innocent and, we're, you know, we we're talking about the tracking the babyish trope, but mm-hmm. she, but she's also like impulsive. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. which is not risk averse. Right. Happy to swing on the rope in Don's barn. Yeah. yeah. And Marianne's like, yeah. hell no. So I, it sounds like we're all agreeing high percentage Marianne, mm-hmm. the serial monogamy, the risk aversion, the organization, setting things up for other people, super conscientious. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like 85? Yeah. Okay. 85 Marianne. Are we going zero Dawn? Yeah. I mean. I don't see much Dawn. I don't see much Dawn. Yeah. Okay. Um, Especially, I mean, curly hair. It's yeah. a personality trait that Don doesn't have. <laughs> okay. Um, what about Claudia? A little irritability. Hey. <laughs> um, I see a little bit of Claudia because she seems to have cared a little bit about what she looked like. Like Yeah. Snap uh, bracelets, stirred mm-hmm. pants, side-tied shirts, mm-hmm. aggressive men's sweater phase in late middle school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but not a ton. Like 15? Yeah, like... I'd say 11.5. Very specific. <laughs> All right. And then I do see some Stacy. I see um, kind of overly responsible first job at 15, stock market club. I feel like shame averse is also a Stacy thing, too. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. both a Stacy and a Marianne thing. Yeah. But yeah. like not a Christy thing. Okay. So like 50 Stacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking 50. Okay. 50 Stacy and then some Christy, but not a ton, right? But I think more than 11.5%. Yeah. Yes. I think between Stacy and Claudia. Like 30? Yeah. All right. Ashley, there's your BSC Big Five. You are 0% Dawn, 11.5% Claudia, 30% Christy, 50% Stacy, and 85% Marianne Spear. You're welcome. We hope that your angst is removed. And uh, that this can help you relate to us and our podcast further going forward. And to sleep at night. Yeah. Anyone else wants their BSC Big Five read and discussed by me and Anne and Emily, you can drop us an email at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Give us some information about your relationships, whether you take charge in things, what your fashion sense was like in middle school, what kind whether of clubs you were in. you wear swatch watches. When you got your period, these <laughs> kinds of things. Yeah. 
and then we'll let you know. Yeah, and we'll send you a certificate. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Do we need to revise a certificate? Do we need to revise zero percent Dawn given the period situation? Oh, maybe like five percent Dawn. Okay, given yeah. that she doesn't know when she got her period, that's a five percent Dawn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We're, we're going to make up a certificate for Ashley, and we'll post it on our Instagram. And then, yeah. um, if you want your own certificate from Stony Brook, however, it will, it will be better than the family tree that Christy made. Her mom and Watson for <laughs> their wedding. Yes. Yes, it will. <laughs> I will right. say that Ashley's remarkably good at describing herself, which I wonder, mm. like, which babysitter is the best sort of mm. narrator of their own personality. I feel like they're all pretty good at that. Yeah, I think they're all pretty mm-hmm. good at that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Chrissy's like, yeah. I have great ideas. And then Marianne's like, I'm shy and a baby. And Stacey's like, I'm sophisticated and I'm from New York City. Exactly. <laughs> and Claudia's like, all my friends think I'm exotic because I'm Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right, Annie, what, what, what jumped out to you pop culture wise in this book? What was going on? I mean, not a lot since there is kind of that whole stroke thing going on. But mm-hmm. I noticed a few things. <clears throat> I mean, just because this is a Claudia book, she talked a lot about her love of junk food and candy. And at the beginning of chapter two, she kind of goes into it. And there's a sentence that really stuck out to me. She says, I like things with funny names such as ho-hos, ring-dings, ding-dongs, and Twinkies. And I was like, okay, so here we go again with the Twinkies, right? Like she loves Twinkies. Mm -hmm. Um, But three of those items are hostess products. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a Drake's product. Oh, boy. <laughs> Which I thought, I was like, huh, like maybe Anna Martin just said ring dings and ding dongs because they sounded funny together. But as me, you or Emily, can mm-hmm. you guys, do you guys know the difference between ring dings and ding dongs? Or if there is a difference? I do not know what either of those things are. <laughs> okay. I am reaching back. This is a good pop quiz. I think that they are almost identical. Mm-hmm. I think that they're both a mm-hmm. swirled chocolate tube with a swirl of white cream in the middle oh, and way off. in chocolate. You're way off. What is that? Is that a ho-ho? That's a ho-ho. Oh, dang it. Wow. Okay. Oh, then they're the round, like, hockey puck ones? Yes. So they're like a hockey puck? Yes, okay. with the cream they're, on the inside. You guys... It's not because I'm young that I don't know this. It's because I'm a Don. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But Okay, so sorry. So I basically, she's saying she likes... and ding-dongs are... Ring-dings and ding-dongs are the same thing, but just a different, like, manufacturer. So, Man, do you think they had some trademark animosity about that? That seems so similar well, in name yeah, for the so same then product. I did a deeper dive into Hostess and Drake's. And so Drake's was yodels, ring dings, double dogs, funny bones, and Yankee doodles. And hostess had Twinkies, cupcakes, ding dongs, and ho-hos. But I feel like her saying ring dings and ding dongs. Wait, what? what I said Emily and I are speechless. Oh, well, okay. So, but the fact that she says ding dongs and ring dings is sort of the same thing. It means she had a redundancy of her snacks. So, but I feel like you're either going to like Drake's or Hostess. 
So I feel like uh-huh. this was just an unfortunate mistake by Anna Martin. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you claiming that when you were a child with your ginormous sweet tooth hanging out of your mouth, that if someone brought you a ring ding instead of a ding dong, you would have been like, no, 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 no. I prefer ding dongs. Like those people who pretend that Pepsi and Coke taste different. Are you one of those people? That's what you're saying? Oh, like my mom. First of all, Pepsi and Coke taste completely different. Wait, your mom likes Pepsi? (laughs) Oh yeah. She hates Coke. And she likes it in a glass that's full of ice only. If it has like two ice cubes, it doesn't taste good. Out of, out of all the things I've heard about your mom, this is something that really strikes me as like a signifier of who she really is. She's a Pepsi drinker. It's, it's very, very revealing. revealing. Yeah. It is very <laughs> revealing. I don't know of many people who like Pepsi over Coke. Anyway. Okay, but so Anne, you're, you're saying you don't fuck with a devil dog and you don't like a yodel? You're like all hostess all the time? Well, I feel like when you're a kid, you tend to identify with certain things. Like, I'm a hostess person. Like, I don't think, you, you uh-huh. know, like, as me, I feel like you were very into, like, sweet tarts and Willy Wonka candy, right? Yeah. And you kind of sure. identified with Willy Wonka candy. But right, but say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, kick a, I don't know, a Starburst out of bed. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still going to have some other candies that aren't Willy yeah, Wonka. Yeah, but what about sweet tarts versus Smarties? Oh, yeah, well... See, but if I'm in trouble, if I, if I I don't have a choice, wait, wait, back up. (laughs) If Esme is in trouble, she might take a Smartie over a sweet tart. So what kind of trouble is this? Like, I don't know, like not over, but like if I need some shitty fruity candy and I happen to have Smarties and I don't have sweet tarts, I'm not going to not eat a Smartie. Are Smarties fruity-esque? Smarties are flavored chalk <laughs> that's a very dawn answer yeah. <laughs> i do like sweet tarts though <sighs> okay anyway I so that's just that's just an observation i made that's that really stuck. so claudia is indiscriminate is your point yes yes again with but yeah. also or, very anna so martin. i think anna martin just wanted to write ring ding and ding dongs yeah well, because she's good. Because that's a funny. <laughs> that's, like, a, that's a funny. <laughs> she didn't. She's not wrong. That was a good choice that she made. Right. Since you brought up Starburst, Claudia never brings up Starburst as far as I remember. But everyone has a favorite Starburst flavor. And I feel like, you know, people are very, you know, adamant about that. Mm-hmm. So let's. I would like to hear your favorite Starburst flavors because I feel like they tell a lot about someone's personality. I mean, everybody's a strawberry, right? Is that red? No, That's it's pink. 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 Mm. What's red? Cherry. Cherry. Mm. I'm the inverse. I have a least favorite Starburst flavor, and that's orange. Orange. Yeah, sure. but I like all the other three. Why you don't like orange, but you like lemon? Mm-hmm. It's better. They're different. Interesting. See, I feel like yellow is my least favorite. I love lemon flavored anything. Like the lemon Jolly Rancher was my favorite um, because it's sourer. Mm -hmm. And and they make orange as a, they make orange a sweet citrus, which just like pisses me off. Mm -hmm. It's It's like a little bitter in the wrong way. Like not like a good marmalade. Mm -hmm. It's like they tried to make it different from the lemon and lime. Yeah. I'm with Emily on this. I like lemon basically anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So wait, what's your favorite? I like strawberry. Yeah. I feel like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty common. But so I have a little workplace story. So at an office I worked at, there was always a bowl of 
the starburst out and everybody for some reason no one liked the yellow one and that was everybody's least favorite in the office so by the end of the week there were always yellow ones left at the bottom of the bowl oh uh, but I, there was a woman i worked with who i didn't really like and she goes oh my god yellow's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> and i was like I that's where we learn that Anne doesn't like us. So basically anyone who likes yellow Starburst sucks. Sucks. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> okay, but which is your least favorite, Anne? Is uh, yellow is your least least? Even you like yellow worse than orange? Because an orange Starburst is kind of an affront to candy, I feel like. You think so? Huh. I'll have to revisit it. they're really not good. Like, they're worse than than other orange-flavored candies, I feel like. Well, there's not a lot of orange-flavored candy out there. Like, an orange Skittle doesn't upset me. Oh, Skittles is a whole other thing. I can mess with an orange Skittle. Put it in Skittles in the next episode. We're talking about Starburst for four minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We We can cut this entire part out. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so another thing I started thinking about is Janine and how this is the first book where we really get to know her. And I feel like she has been unfairly portrayed in past books. And also, you know, we get to know her more in this book. And I was like, who is Janine Kishi? Like, she's always on the computer. And I'm like, what are you doing on that computer? Because there's no internet right now. So she's just... Typhon on a screen. Oh, she was becoming a physicist. Yeah. Also, what's up with that? That was mentioned like 50 times in the book. <laughs> I think that's just Claudia's shorthand signifier for smart person, which mm-hmm. I actually love. I love that it's not doctor or lawyer and that it's physicist. As a, mm-hmm. as a former physics major myself, I like mm-hmm. was into it. I was like, yeah, physicist. Go to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So you think she's doing like writing a paper on her computer or... Do you think she's like... I, I think she's programming. I think she's programming in like some mid to late 80s programming language. I don't know anything about those things. We're Ones clearly a social zeros? science. Yeah. <laughs> she's doing binary. We're, we're clearly a social science uh, humanities crowd on this podcast. I don't think we should pretend to that we could talk about coding, but that's what I think she's doing. Okay. <laughs> but she spends all that time in her room. And, you know, she has to do something else other than just work. I'm thinking, we also know she hides candy in her room. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started to, you know, sort of think about, hmm, like, if Janine had her own book, what would it be about? Like, what does she actually, what does she do? You know, does she have friends, whatever? Mm -hmm. So then I started to look up some fan fiction about the Babysitter's Club. Mm -hmm. And I found this really interesting one where... uh, this, okay, I want to give credit for this. Her name is Nothing to Lose 18. And she has this entire storyline about Janine having a crush on Charlie Thomas. Mm. Which mm-hmm. I think is pretty cool. Yeah, they're only a year apart. They live across the street from each other. Right. I could get behind that. I like them both. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to read some passages from this. Okay. Okay, so I'll set the scene where Charlie is picking up Christy from Claudia's house because Janine was tutoring Christy with something, helping her with a paper or something. 
So Charlie, Charlie picks up Christy and they're driving home and Christy is like, Ooh, do you want to read the paper I wrote? And he was like, okay. So Christy hands him the paper and he noticed there's a sticky note stuck to the bottom of it. And he's like, Oh, what's this? And he was like, he just was like, he just takes it. And he's like, I'm going to read this later. So Charlie took off like a shot up the stairs and into his bedroom, collapsing onto his bed. He pulled out the sticky note and looked at it for the first time. And here's what it says. Janine Kishi plus Charlie Thomas. JK plus CT. Janine Thomas? Charlie Kishi? No. Oh, Charlie, if you only knew. I love you. Oh, yes, I do. Note to self, never attempt poetry again. Stick with sciences. So, <laughs> and then it's mortifying. Charlie Poor felt a slow grin spread across his face, and there was nothing he could do to wipe it away. Not that he wanted to. <laughs> he was perfectly content to just sit there and smile and think of her. Whoa. Wow. I know. And then later they meet up and they actually kiss. What? Yeah. <laughs> and it says, uh, oh, so he confronts her about the note. And Janine says, please, I beg of you, pay that note, no mind. I was just scribbling down things and she was cut off by Charlie's lips pressing into hers. She didn't know what to do, and her brain mentally scrambled, attempting to figure out the answer to this new equation. Finally, she just stopped and let her instincts take over. Whew, is it getting hot in here? <laughs> yeah. I love some young adult sexual tension. Yeah. <laughs> the kiss was sweet and I... gentle. Janine had never been kissed before. Not like this. When they pulled away, she was gasping, but she wanted more. Okay, so I'm going to stop now because it's getting... <laughs> now it's a porno. It's a little too steamy. It's getting a little too hot in here. Yeah. Um, wow. I love this plot line. I'm very oh my gosh. Okay, so... Oh, I was just going to say, so fanfic, fanfic corner seems like it's going to be coming back pretty frequently on the, on the podcast at this rate. Emily's yeah. raising her eyebrows up and down. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. I, I mean, feel I like there cool. must be so much shipping all over the place. Yeah. I, know, I never thought about shipping Charlie and Janine together, but it makes mm -hmm. sense. They're like kind of the same age. Charlie seems very mature. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's cool and responsible. It makes for a good, like, I don't know, non-stereotypical kind of worlds colliding plot, which mm -hmm. is fun, always fun. Yeah. So, like, a great teen movie in there somewhere from the yeah. 90s. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice, Anne. I'm glad you took us there. What? <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I am. Yes. So the one other little note I wanted to make was, I'm concerned about Claudia's dental hygiene. Because she's eating so much candy, but what's going up with her teeth? You know, like is she is she <laughs> is she like forty now, and she has like dentures? She didn't care for she ate too many Twinkies. Okay, but they don't they don't show any of them really engaging in engaging in what in psychology we call ADLs activities of daily living. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm presuming that they're all brushing their teeth and they're bathing and they're getting haircuts and they're washing their clothes. Mm -hmm. I think we don't need to see 
active scenes of Claudia's dental hygiene to know that she's taking care of business, do we? She could still have cavities, even if she brushes her teeth twice a day. Yeah. She's definitely got fillings. Yeah. I like how you brought up washing themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I just, these are all things that are off camera, like their their period hygiene. Here's another thing. Who do you think wears deodorant? Oh, (laughs) all of them. All of, yeah. them. all of them. Yes. Yeah. All of them. As we like, you're very adamant about this. I wonder which of the girls who have their periods use tampons as against pads. Or a diva cup or a menses cup. Those oh. didn't exist in the 80s. That's not oh, menses right. cups. They didn't. I mean, I would assume. How much drama would have been saved if they had. <laughs> I know this is like right in the right in the zone of all of the scarce well actually it's a little early before lots of this it's before Jane Pratt came out with her toxic shock syndrome story so my guess is that Claudia and Stacy moved on to tampons pretty quick but the Marianne just uses pads Uh once she gets her period yeah like when it gets her over yeah when she's an adult yeah I mean how afraid of you I mean I was really afraid of TSS yeah but we were a little older than them yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't know. By the time I was a teenager, the people weren't worried about it anymore. So Claudia's candy is kind of the the regulars over here. We got cookies, ho hos, ring dings, ding dongs, controversial, Twinkies, cupcakes, licorice, M and M's, and gumdrops. Oh, gumdrops aren't really a thing that people like, right? Don't know that I've ever had one. They're good to put on gingerbread houses, but they're not that tasty. No, they're not very good. I'm going to lump that in with those lifesavers as questionable. Um, what about, what's up with your tallies, Esme? Yeah, well, um, you know, Claudia is not as judgy in this book as she was in uh, Phantom Phone Calls. So we've only got two. She describes Marianne twice. She describes her once as shy and once as sensitive. This is the first time actually in the series that sensitive has come up, hmm. which is interesting because oh. I feel like sensitive becomes Marianne's main signature thing. But um, up until now, shy has been a proxy for that. So that brings our total for shy. Marianne is shy to 11 and sensitive to one, but we didn't add to any of the other tallies. Wow. What were you guys' favorite lines? Um, I only marked one. I like at the end of chapter, what chapter are you? No, no, this is page 29. Oh, the next chapter is on the next page. I'm dumb. Uh, chapter three, uh, when they're planning for their day camp and, Christy asks Marianne, like, what shape are we in if we buy our supplies? Marianne says, I think we're all set. And then Claudia says, ready to roll, which I thought was really funny. Like, do you think that down too. say that? <laughs> I wrote that down I like too. That one. That's good. <laughs> and how about you? Um, I like ready to roll a lot. The one I wrote down is actually in their summer playgroup advertisement. At the very bottom, it mm-hmm. says... The unique alternative to babysitting. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. I have two other ones that I wrote down um, other ready to roll. One was um, Claudia often uses these like weird folksy expressions that I feel like an old man would use. It's come up a couple times already. So she's describing 
how Christy's going to manage in a situation where they have to talk to a bunch of people they don't know. And she says she could talk the ear off a corn stalk. Um, And then the other one is out of context. Um, I just think it's a funny phrase as um, Claudia is over helping Mrs. Newton set up for this big party she's having for Lucy's christening, um, which we didn't really talk about, but it's this big, like fancy New England party and all these people are coming. And I really liked the descriptions by Claudia of what like a new mom hosting a bunch of relatives at this big party with like printed napkins is the way she's setting it up and figuring it out. And Mrs. Newton has post-its everywhere to remind her, like, the carrot sticks go here. And then she has a vase, and the post-it just says, Auntie Nora's swizzle sticks. (laughs) And and I thought that that was really funny for some reason. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good one. She needs her own swizzle sticks, Auntie Nora. Well, I think she... I took it as they were a gift from Auntie Nora. And if she didn't put them out, Auntie Nora was going to be offended that they weren't being used at the party. What's a swizzle stick? It's like a stirrer for a drink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. That makes more sense. I thought it was just Auntie Nora had a drinking problem and she needed (laughs) a lot of swizzle sticks. Oh, I have another, another favorite. It's what it's on page 95. And Jenny says, monster smock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do monster Let's, smock. Okay. <laughs> That's very good. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. What are we going to pizza toast to? Whoo. Well. Swizzle sticks. Oh, special tea. Auntie Nora's drinking. <laughs> yeah. Special tea is sweet. I like that. Yeah. Pizza toast to special tea. Pizza to special tea. <laughs> this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kid. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite serious literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org backslash shop backslash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling doubly generous and you want to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl can ask for. <laughs>